I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Let's Hang Out listeners. We really enjoyed talking to Afki today, but we just wanted to let you know that as part of our discussion, Afki shares stories of times when clients experienced events outside of their consent, including in sexual situations. So we want to give everyone a heads up before starting the episode. But we hope you enjoy our conversation. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Hang Out, the podcast where what do you say to taking chances? What do you say to jumping off the I edge? was not um, expecting You weren't that ready for some Celine. I know. At all. I know. At no all. one was ready for <laughs> Celine in this episode, um, but I was. I was ready. <laughs> Um, I just listen, I was going with the risk theme and I think it was going to work for me. So that's what I landed on. Sorry, give me one second. Did you find? Okay, yeah. So, sorry, Jana thought she What's lost Jana the cat. Doing? She thought she lost the cat. So, Don't lose the cat. <laughs> I, I was actually just thinking that that's so very lesbian. No, you're good. <laughs> okay, I sorry. thought you were going to be like, she's spackling again. Stop <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Sorry, she's like, where's the cat? And the pure panic in her eyes. I was like, I need to see if he's okay. <laughs> um, so sorry about that. That's a very gay okay. way to start it's a podcast. Good. My I'm going. girlfriend thought she lost the cat. <laughs> <laughs> shall I shall I dive us back in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> from the West Coast, I'm Lee Holmes Foster. And from the East Coast, I'm Ellie Brigida. To those of you who have been with us through this whole journey, thank you as always for listening. If you're a new listener, welcome. We're excited to have you here. Here's what's happening this week. 
This Week in the Lesdom is a place where we can touch base each episode about things going on with the podcast or otherwise. We want to remind you all that our Trova trip to Croatia is coming up in September. We have 13 spots already filled, which means there are five left. You can sign up at bit.ly slash Croatia. The last day to sign up is July 23rd. We also want to remind everyone in season six, we are releasing monthly bonus Patreon episodes and... It is that day for our next one to release. So if you want to go up, our ninth episode is available for our patrons right now on Loving Annabelle. (laughs) We had a time. We're also very excited to say that it is our first Patreon episode with a guest. We had our friend Abby Nissenbaum join us to share all of the thoughts on Loving Annabelle. So if you want to have access to that and all of our other bonus episodes, you can join our Patreon at any level at bit.ly slash lespatreon. In the greater Les universe, this trailer was wild. The ultimatum queer love trailer just came out from Netflix. First of all, Lee, you know the premise of the show. Oh, yes. So the first season, I was like, this is the most fucked up premise. I will never watch this show. This is so messed up. And now that it's gay, like, I'm in. I'm watching it. I'm like, <laughs> of course you who are. would ever watch this are. show? It's so horrible. And so the premise is, right, people, these queer people have been together. One of them gives an ultimatum. Either you put a ring on my finger or we are breaking up. And then they basically are like meeting new people each week and like dating other people it's gonna be chaos but some of my favorite gay parts of the trailer were when somebody said if you don't like my dog get the fuck out (laughs) and another one literally said i wanted you to propose to me but you fell in love with someone else in a week and a half in a week and a half the show like I am of two minds about this because part of me is like, oh, my God, like, we just need some healthy queer representation (laughs) for, for like, the little baby gays out there. And the other part of me is remembering the absolute fucking ball that we had watching. uh, What was the other reality show? Are You the One? Are You the One? I'm like, I just, yes, give me all of the gay chaos like i'm here for it and i will enjoy this i know it i'm gonna hate it but i will enjoy it Mm -hmm. um so there's that also another funny thing about it is joanna garcia swisher is the host and like everyone's like why like there's so many (laughs) there's no gay person they can find there's no queer like she's like straight and religious and we're like uh are they trying to be like hey straight people look we got a straight religious host for you like no straight people are watching this show they're like Like, did you you love reba and also want to see something else yeah like you (laughs) should this makes no sense to me is she trying to like revamp her image like did she say something homophobic like i don't know know. do not know. know amazing crazy also in the greater list universe i guess um there's a new a new movie well i mean it feels relevant even though i don't think it's actually gay right it seems a little should have been gay it seems a little should have been gay. So Angelina Jolie and Halle Berry are going to be in a new like spy v spy thriller something movie. I don't super know what it's about. I but just I know, super course, don't care. Give it to me. I super don't <laughs> care. All the gays are excited anyways. Listen, it, it is the first thing that flashed in my head when I read this. Like 
wait a minute, remember when Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out and everyone was like, so sexy, so hot, sparks are flying. And I'm like, can we just, are we going to get that but with Halle Berry now? Because yes, I'm in, like sold. Yeah, give it to me. Great. So so that's going to happen and we'll just, you know, we'll see where it lands on the on the should have been gay scale for us. Um, I anticipate high. high. <laughs> also, I hear that Pedro Pascal is going to be in uh, what's being billed as a lesbian road trip movie directed okay. by Ethan Cohen. So I I also know very little about this. It's called Drive Away Dolls. Um, I know Beanie Feldstein's going to be in it. Love that. Uh, Matt Damon's going to be in it. Uh, so is I'm Matt not Damon sh- playing a lesbian? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Pedro Pascal might be. I hope um, he does. I hope he does too. So I don't know. I just that's that's the news that's been going around this week, and that it's funny that Pedro Pascal's casting announcement is the first I have heard of this lesbian road trip movie. I was like, okay, Pedro sure. Pascal, ally to all lesbians, <laughs> ally, yeah, for <laughs> yes. sure. That's what's happening this week. Back to you, Ellie and Lee. Thanks, Ellie and Lee. We are so excited to bring you episode eighteen of season six. Queering Consent, and we are joined by a very special guest today. We have Avhi Saktapulu, who is a queer psychoanalyst, professor at New York University, and also the author of Sexuality Beyond Consent, Risk, Race, and Traumatophilia. I should have asked how to say that word, too. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Traumatophilia. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. So excited to talk about this. Two of our, we already said this before we were on air, but I will say this now. Two of our good friends, Lauren and Nicole, interviewed you on Coming Out Pod. So we're very excited that we get to do the same. Yeah, I had so much fun with them. I look forward to this today. Yes. So tell us a little bit. I, I'm sure you're, you've gotten sort of like a, a pitch down of the book now. Give us like a quick overview of the book to kind of um, kick us off for anyone who hasn't heard of it or isn't familiar with, with mm. what it's about. Mm. The book is a very, has, has a bunch of different things going on with it. But I'm, I'm going to start with like one of the main themes of the book, of the book which is consent. So I, I started out writing this book because... You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a psychoanalyst. I work with people. I see a lot of queer people in my practice. And between the queer patients I work with and also some of the experiences that I see kind of like in the general culture, it's become very clear, I think, to many of us that the ways that we think about consent just doesn't work. Um, kind of like this notion of affirmative consent where kind of like you negotiate, you have good communication, and at least so the promise goes, if you do that well, kind of like a good sexual contact or a good sexual encounter can follow. But that leaves out a lot of how things work, including the fact that consent, and this is one of the points that I'm trying to make um, in my book, including the fact that consent is not necessarily only about negotiating with another person, but also has a lot to do with what you will allow yourself to experience, what kind of risks you will take with, with yourself. And Queerness and risk have a lot of adjacencies, so I've been interested mm-hmm. in risk for a very long time. So I start with trying to map a different way of thinking about consent, um, which I call limit consent, which has less to do with trying to patrol one's borders and more to do with what happens when one kind of like throws oneself into experience, when one begins to take risks, not with the other person's boundaries, but with one's own boundaries is not necessarily the way we usually think about consent. Usually we understand it yeah. as an interpersonal negotiation, 
I, I, I start from there and proceed to explore a number of different topics, some of which we may talk about today. One of them being like what, what technically in the book I call perversion, and I will call perversion here too, to speak about sexualities that are not necessarily pathological, but which kind of like play with affects and experiences that we don't usually understand as sexual, like disgust or humiliation, or kind of like racial debasement, which is one of the topics in the book that I talk about quite a bit. And more generally, sexualities that are brushing up against trauma. There's a lot in there. But, mm-hmm. but my first question to you is from towards the beginning of what you said, which is, you said how we talk about consent isn't working or cons- like something mm-hmm. like that. Like what to you isn't working? Mm-hmm. What doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Well, consent, at least, at least the way that we think about consent, like say through the Me Too movement, which has made it possible, if, if not shown us how necessary it is to be able to think about boundaries and the respect of boundaries. But at the same time, that way of understanding what consensual negotiations mean begins to set up this, what I think is really a fantasy that that if if you and I are beginning to like try to figure out how we're going to have say an erotic encounter the fantasy goes you ask me what I want I tell you what I don't want like I have full access to myself to what will activate me to what will be exciting I communicate that to you and then the two of us play kind of like sexually within these these limits but the fact is that psychic life doesn't work like that it it doesn't necessarily apply that what we discuss now will come to materialize to be true in like half an hour from now or even two minutes from now and kind of like how one gets both triggered but also like excited or kind of like having experiences that are not necessarily about being a good and safe experience but an experience that ushers in something new like transformational experiences are not guaranteed by safety something else makes transformational Mm. experiences happen do you feel like that's i'm just like thinking about this and do you feel like that's like more strangers versus partners. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, you think about, I don't know, even thinking about like the first time you might've kissed someone and like, they didn't know it was coming. Mm-hmm. That was not really consented to in the definition of what you're saying of consent. Mm-hmm. But there's something exciting about not knowing that the thing is going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what you're talking about here. In part, in part, I'm talking about that. Like for ex- in your example, like part of what is exciting is that something happens that is not something that you have necessarily like controlled or anticipated. And it happens and it brings a certain kind of thrill and a frisson that you didn't quite expect. But there's also like other kinds of experiences. I'm not talking just about sexual experiences in the sense of like having sex or having a sexual encounter. I'm also talking about encounters with certain encounters with art that can feel extremely can stun us, can like really throw us for a loop where you can may become obsessed with a piece of art or become really preoccupied with a movie or with film or with a piece of theater. Like in the, in the book, I talk about having become quite preoccupied with a theatrical piece. And in many ways, things that we become transfixed about happen in what I've come to describe as they're at the border of our consent. I'm not talking about consent that is violated, where you say, I don't want to do that, and somebody's pushing you to do that. 
But I am talking about things that are at the border of where you you sense that something is happening, you sense that you might be willing to experience something, and, and it opens up to a space of something that is unexpected. Maybe you have a good kiss, maybe you have a terrible kiss. Maybe you have a kiss that reminds you of some really bad experience. We have become so preoccupied in a way that is extremely neoliberal and very kind of like organized around specific, especially in thinking about queerness, like there are ways in which in trying to protect ourselves and provide safe spaces to shield queer people from homophobia, transphobia, kind of like all of these uh, problematic um, conditions. There are ways in which I think we have sold ourselves short and have over promised and have over required safety even in experiences with each other or experiences with people where something new might arise. So one one of the arguments that I'm really interested in in the book is kind of like what happens when you dare experiment and innovate and invent outside of the conditions of safety. Um, and that's kind of what I'm playing with in the book. Yeah, that's so interesting too. this idea. Like, I, I wish I had written it. I wish I could write faster. You had said something about like, uh, like safety not not guaranteeing like uh, a certain type of experience or something, and I think that like it's so it's so interesting because I know you talk a lot in the book about sort of you know like as you're saying like the overlap between a lot of these things with the idea of queerness right or <laughs> and the experience of uh, of queerness and of a lot of queer people, and there's something that it, that like that jumped out at me about that because I think. I feel like like most queer people, I mean, uh, again, like I, <laughs> we always hesitate to say like all right. But like, <laughs> I think most queer people can relate to the idea of like at a certain point, like we had to you had to come out, you had to make what wasn't the safe choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're all sort of familiar with the idea of like growing up in a very heteronormative, mm-hmm. heterocentric yeah. society in a patriarchal society. Right. And of like of having to make a choice at some point to say like actually what I want isn't the safe thing mm-hmm. right like um and granted i mean that that's doing that in the context of like i'm choosing for myself uh, to a certain extent but but i think that there's something that that like almost immediately like jumps out at me about that concept of like safety not being the cons the 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 be all and end all I think yeah. for queer people like from the get go right mm-hmm. like step one of your gay journey is <laughs> mm-hmm. is like letting go of some of that idea of safety and like and and stepping outside already of norms and mm-hmm. of expectations and uh, you know like of sort of all of that so I think that like there's there's immediately things that mm-hmm. I think you know it, it probably jump out I think to a lot of queer folks of saying like oh mm-hmm. yes <laughs> yeah yes i can re- i can hear something uh, mm-hmm. that i'm relating to and that idea like you know regardless of uh i think everything else that that we're probably about to, mm-hmm. to dive into as yeah. well no, that's a, that's a great jumping point because i mean what you're bringing up already situates us beyond the domain of like just feeling safe and comfortable so there's already kind of like built into queerness a preparedness to confront some things that will be difficult. But but here's yeah. where I think it gets tricky. I think in the effort to to own these kinds of experiences and these kinds of desires and to step into one's queerness, part of what happens, I think not infrequently, is 
one lets go of kind of like one branch of safety and swings over to another branch. And that mm. other branch is the how to be queer. Like what is a respectable <laughs> queer desire? Kind of like, and we can yeah. talk about like respectability politics. We can talk about homonormativity, transnormativity. So it's not, it's not like we kind of like let go of our investments to safety and just expose ourselves completely. Like we substitute for different forms of safety. So one thing that I should kind of like make very clear is that part of what I'm speaking about is not just kind of like taking risks so that you actually live your true self or that you actually engage with your desire in the way that you need to. I'm talking even more so than that. I'm stretching this even further than that to say that there are so many ways in which we are told and taught that experiences that are overwhelming are not good for you. Mm. Therefore, Kind of like you can take risks, you can experiment, but if it becomes too much, you need to stop. And in this book, I'm interested about experiences that actually feel overwhelming and which can feel crushing, not necessarily in the sense of like feeling crushed and damaged, but crushing of what you think you understand about yourself, crushing your identity, crushing your sense of like, oh, I thought I wanted this, but now I am before something that actually startles me about myself. And that's not exactly something that one can consent to or anticipate ahead of time. That's what I'm, why I'm, in a way, going after consent with such passion. Because yeah. if you're going to go after experiences well, of that sort, you're in a different domain. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. And it's. I mean, again, I'm. <laughs> I feel like I should. I should come with like a PSA on this episode because <laughs> I know you talked to you talked to Lauren and Nicole, and mm-hmm. I know like Lauren and I. Um, say a lot that like we are uh, we are both like very vanilla people mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like we always yes. I'm gonna like e- I'm easing my way in I'm gonna mm-hmm. ease my way in and because something else that like immediately jumped out at me Ellie when you were talking about just the idea just even from like a very bare bones uh, uh, like starting point of like kissing someone without like asking permission first right you've never done and that. I feel like I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm gonna say you always ask I every I've assigned consent form. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, I know, I, but I think what what immediately like, uh, and again, maybe this is just because you and I are like giant like media representation nerds, and we have our favorites, and you know, everyone listening knows what our favorites are. Some of you probably have already clocked where I'm going with this, but I will walk you through off you in if case you're not familiar with it. There, the the immediate thing that it brought up, and I think mm-hmm. it's a very again, it, this is like the vanilla level of where we're gonna start. Uh-huh. And like, we'll work mm-hmm. our way down. I'm thinking of there's a show that came out a couple years ago that we are huge, huge fans of. It's called Teenage Bounty Hunters. This is where you, this is where you never knew I was gonna end up like ten minutes into this episode, Ellie. But there's just and it. it's it, the <laughs> scene. I'm using this one particular scene, but I think it's a really common scene in queer media because we talk all the time about like coming out. Uh, depictions in media right mm-hmm. and how it's like it's very overdone I think this is a very common scenario to see played out on our screens and I think it's getting at this starting to work our way at this idea of what you're talking about you have two girls one of them like they are both ostensibly straight one of them maybe coming to some self-realizations right goes in for the kiss and the other one having that moment of being like like again, a situation I that I would never have consented to. I would never have mm-hmm. like been open to this, but now it has happened to me, <laughs> and is maybe triggering some of this destruction of my sense of self and 
opening myself up to something new that I hadn't been ready for that I wouldn't have accepted that if you had like asked me, I would have been like, absolutely not. I am straight. What are you talking Mm -hmm. about? Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that like, again, even at a very like, you know, we're not getting deep into the sexual weeds of Mm -hmm. like kink play and Mm -hmm. consent and like BDSM and like you don't even have to get to that level yet. Like just at a very starting point of like this idea that there are things that can change your relationship to yourself that maybe you wouldn't have been ready for right mm-hmm. like I think that's kind of this is like a an inroad to yes. what you're saying yeah yes okay. I, I, I appreciate like the slow entry I, this, is, this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna take my time okay I'm gonna go slow no I, th- I think this is a great example and let me let me actually use this example and stay with this Kind of like seemingly very vanilla example, but which I, I what I would like to suggest is that this is a, a very, very interesting and complicated moment because you have a, a number of different possibilities. One possibility is that the two, these two people are queer. One of them knows it. The other one doesn't know it. Like she gets kissed and she's like, oh my God, me too. Here I am. Let's go for it. Right. So she discovers something about herself that was already there. But another possibility is that there's something about the kiss that actually arouses a desire that might actually have not been there to begin with. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, it, it precipitates a different kind of crisis. And the crisis might have the sort of like, wait a minute, like, I didn't know, it doesn't have to be the crisis like, oh my God, I'm gay, even though that too could happen. It could also be the crisis of like, oh, wow, like, what is going on? Like, I had no idea. Like, why did this, did I want this kiss? Did I just get turned on? Is this about this person? Is this about my identity? Like it can precipitate all kinds of questions. So in, in some sense, part of what, in the second example, part of what we see is that consent is not just about kind of like, do you know yourself? Do you communicate well enough? Things arise in an encounter with another. And by the time they arise, it's already too late, but not the too late of violation, but the too late of, of your own relationship to yourself. And it is that strange time component, that strange temporality, that mm-hmm. is that, that's actually, I think, queer time. That's how queer time works. It's kind of like, it's always too late. Um, and <laughs> it's either too early or too late. Um, <laughs> In literally everything for queer people. No, like, no, I don't mean everything. Queers only exist in the past and the future. Never, exactly. never right exactly. now. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, that's, you know, I'm thinking of the work of Catherine von Stockton who writes about the queer child, that the queer child grows up sideways is the phrasing that she uses to say that mm. it's only retroactively that you can recognize something that may have been there, right? So there's something about time that is not linear. An affirmative consent wants linear time. You know it, yeah. there's time A, there's time B. In, I think what happens with queer time, which is not just the time of queers, but also like the kind of like the, the, the strangeness of psychic time is that it, it doesn't always happen. You can't always predict it and it doesn't always happen in real at, at, at the real moment. Yeah. It's also, it's so interesting to, to talk about it that way because I feel like, you know, something we talk, I mean, we talk obviously a lot about on the show is like, 
how much of queer people's childhoods to like our own childhoods um i feel like we you you have them twice right there's like the childhood as you live it and then there's a childhood as you look back on it and everything makes more sense to you that like they're not the same right like they're not the same thing like your childhood my childhood looking back will never be what my childhood was when i was living it because i didn't know so many things at the time that yeah. i know now yeah. you know yeah. and so it's like there's something i love that idea of like queer time like mm-hmm. not it's not a linear thing and it's not always happening as it's happening some of it's happening after it's yeah happened. yeah but yeah. it's happening again because you're going back to it yeah you know? and like that's so true it's weird though it's like when i was learning how to skateboard i didn't know i was gay <laughs> that's weird <laughs> that's weird how okay but you know happen? what like, i think i think actually what you were what you were just describing Lee, about kind of like you have like two versions of your childhood i would say you actually have more than two like yeah. because let's say so you come out as 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 a lesbian and you look back and you're like oh my god it was all there and then you come out you're like well i'm i'm actually more on the butch end of things then other things get rewritten then you decide you're yeah. going to be on t Maybe you will transition. Maybe you won't. Maybe you're non-binary. Maybe now you're identified as trans mask. Now you have yet a different version of your childhood. So there's something about these kinds of like rewritings, which are kind of like, I think that those of us who are queer kind of like can resonate with them very quickly. Like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, I know that. Like, you know, even, even skateboarding feels different. If you think of yourself as, right? (laughs) (laughs) Even in that respect. And, but I think that they also have some resonances outside of queer experience, but queerness has a certain kind of adjacency to them. Like it's more porous to them. It's more raw. And therefore, like, I think it, it's much more familiar to us. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, that what you're just saying, too, it also opens up a whole bunch of stuff, too, about like just this idea that like a lot of our a lot of our life, I think, is about somehow re writing our history and our paths that like got us here because it's also like something else that that's bringing up and just because i i know it is something else that you talk about uh, in the book that we might um that we might talk about as well is like as someone with with two young children mm-hmm. right like so much of becoming a parent and having and raising children is do is that same process and like it's not necessarily related to queerness but it's a lot of like revisiting mm-hmm. your childhood right. and and reexamining and relearning yeah. and and retalking yeah. about all of these things and i think the reason that i think that's interesting in this context uh, in terms of how it relates to this discussion is actually twofold one of them one of them because i know you have a chapter in the book where you talk about some of the the consent and and playing around consent that kids do sort of naturally mm-hmm. but also because i think you talk a lot about trauma and i think a lot of yeah. like, re-examining our child our, yeah. our childhood yeah. is really about examining our own trauma whether it's you know mm-hmm. big t trauma or little yeah. t trauma whatever it is like i don't think anyone comes out of their life without any that's right so I think there's a lot of of um you know that sense of trying to figure out like how do you relate to your own uh to your own trauma and yeah. to your own childhood and yeah. all that yeah yeah I mean in some ways I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a bit nerdy here for a moment if you'll allow Please. me <laughs> Please. so this this is this is an idea that I want to like flesh out that comes comes from psychoanalytic thinking uh and it's the idea of it called it's called afterwardsness 
and it's it's the following idea. So we were just talking about like how you could like you, for example, transition, you look back on your childhood and then it makes sense in a different way. But but let's stay with your example Lee, about being a parent. So you are in a certain kind of engagement with your children, and then you you come to realize that things that happened in your childhood that you have taken as a given, you would never do with your children. Mm-hmm. And now something that has looked normal to you all your life or just how things were, like the air we breathe, you breathe, now all of a sudden begins to look more sinister or it begins to look. And now through, though the facts of your life have not changed, now something that you have lived with all your life and it has not felt traumatic now begins to feel traumatic. So here is this like odd situation where the, tra- the event happened then. The trauma didn't happen then. It's happening now as you are realizing something. But it's also not accurate to say that the trauma is a trauma of the moment because it has to do with this past event that did not feel traumatic then. So psychoanalysis introduces like this very odd way to think about time, which is that contrary to like thinking kind of like from a judicial perspective or thinking from a let's adjudicate like was this wrong or not, what, what happened to you in your childhood may have been wrong all along. But it might, that does not mean that it was traumatic. If it becomes traumatic when you're a parent, then it becomes harder to pin down whether you were traumatized then or whether you're traumatized now. Right. <laughs> so, it, yeah. so it becomes, so trauma begins to become this kind of like a really weird animal. It's a different kind of trauma than I was 10 and my dad used to beat me and I was traumatized then. Right. This is, this is different. So what I also become very curious about in the book is, how we relate to trauma. One, one of the big arguments in the book is we have this fantasy, we tell each other socially, relationally, and also clinically, like we train our students and practice as if trauma can be healed, like reparate, repair, the repair of trauma, the healing of trauma, the, the working through. And the truth is trauma is not possible to heal. Nobody has ever healed trauma. Nobody has ever been returned to where they were before they were traumatized. So then the question becomes, what what are what are we telling each other and what are we doing when we're imagining and putting in these kind of like selling i think basically snake oil uh when we are promising healing so th- this is a very challenging argument right it's a very challenging argument because it it can sound pretty pessimistic to some people mm-hmm. even though of course what I'm, I'm not trying to say like if you're traumatized that's it that it's going to be like that forever but I am trying to say that there's a way in which we're very afraid of trauma, as if once you're traumatized, the only thing that you can hope for is repair. And no, I but I think I, I totally get what you're I think I understand the the concept of what you're saying, especially in the sense of like, you don't undo it, right? Like it's not, it doesn't unhappen. It doesn't yeah. go yes, away. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of like the concept of what we think about is as repair is really just learning how to relate to it differently mm. right like how to incorporate it as a thing that is just a part of you mm. that is a thing that has happened right but yeah but I, you're totally right i mean it doesn't it doesn't like disappear it doesn't yeah. take an eraser <laughs> yeah. right and like scratch it out it's yeah. still there it's just so that's yeah. i think that's that's interesting so when you say we just learned how to incorporate it incorporate it in what like, what do, you, what do you have in mind? 
Well, I think, I mean, it's, I, I feel like this is going to be a weird episode for me in some ways if we go, if we like dive into this. Yeah. Just because, I was like, so, are no, we at a therapy session for you right now? will be a therapy no, session. No, 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 no. no, but I think I mean, because like, for me so much of this right now, like the, the most prominent way that all of this is, is like, you know, involved in my own life right now has to do with, with being a parent, right? Like mm-hmm. it has to do with that sense of like. Of exactly what you said of like examining things that you're like, oh, this happened when I was a kid. And like, I would never, Uh (laughs) I would Mm -hmm. never want to do that to Uh my kids. Uh Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's a lot of, and doing that, like, while you're still maintaining a relationship with your own parents and, and like, Uh you know, Uh and having them around your kids. And so it's like, there's a lot of that. Um, like, I think for, for me personally, I mean, just Mm -hmm. in terms of that, that question, like that tends to be, that tends to be a, a, the most relevant thing but I also think that like the the thing that I found really interesting in terms of like that some of the the sections related to this in the book that I think are are interesting to talk about as well is like this idea that like kids relate to consent very different I mean just for anyone who has young children I think understands that like consent when you're talking about like with children is like a totally different beast than like how we as as adults and especially as like you know, like progressive liberal mm-hmm. adults like tend to think about consent yeah. these days. It's very different. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. That's very true. And there's an example from the book that I can share about that, which which I think maybe what you have in mind. But let me quickly go back to kind of like your yeah. idea that, you know, we don't get over trauma, we incorporate it. And I, I definitely I'm not trying to like analyze you. That's not right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll Venmo you after that. Billable <laughs> <laughs> hours. Here's, here's, here's what I was going for. I was going for the following that it's true that we understand that trauma can be incorporated like in how one parents or in, in kind of like those of us who become shrinks have had a, done a lot of work in understanding kind of like how our trauma from our childhood gets churned into the way that we want to care for others and so on and so forth. But here's the tricky part. There are domains. That, so when we're talking about incorporating trauma, it's okay to incorporate it in your work, to incorporate it in your parenting. There's a variety of, but is it okay to incorporate it in your gender? Mm. Is it okay to incorporate it in how you have sex? Yeah. So. Well, uh, <laughs> and you know what? Because I, uh, again, things I feel like every queer person um, is familiar with is the site, like less so these days, but I think all of us have run into that situation where it's like, you know, oh, you're coming out as gay, as a lesbian, as bisexual, as whatever. And it's like, oh, like what man hurt you, you know? And like, and and the reality of that being that like for, I think most of us, like the immediate knee jerk defensive thing is like nobody, but like Mm -hmm. there are people for whom that's not true. Absolutely. Like there are yeah. people. I'm like Lee. Yes, immediate knee jerk reaction is yes. No man has ever hurt me. You're <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Like no, in what universe does y- that happen? Yeah. <laughs> that would be in a, so in a, in a patriarchal society. In a patri- yeah, in a patriarchal society, yeah. there's never been all, a all negative. Men have ex- hurt us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but also just like I mean, this is so not random. But if we were talking about trauma, I was like watching SVU earlier today, and it was like an episode about like a high school girl and like her experience with an older boy. And I'm like, teenage girls in like every culture, mm-hmm. I feel like have experienced right. some sort of sexual trauma. Right. Right. Like it, mm-hmm. like even if it was not intended to be sexual yeah. trauma yeah. by the perpetrator, that's obviously why we've started this larger societal conversation about consent. Mm-hmm. But then how do we, talk about it in a less black and white way yeah yeah 
But I, I am I, curious to hear what you have to say about like incorporating trauma into yeah. your sex life. Well, I think I think this is kind of like where it gets very tricky. Like an earlier when we were talking about how kind of like you take the risk to come out, but you kind of like hold on to something else, which is that kind of like there are certain narratives that we have that we hold on to for good reason. Because kind of like right now, for example, the attack on trans children that's unfolding on the legislative level throughout the country is partly organized through a discourse of trauma. Like the idea is these kids are not trans, they're traumatized, sometimes mm-hmm. actually even by homophobia. And they're telling themselves that they're trans when in fact they're gay, right? Or they have been traumatized by some other way. And now they think they're trans mistakenly. So of course, that's absolutely not what I'm saying, right? But because there's kind of like this conservative forces politically are waiting there to pounce on queerness and to pounce on transness, we have trained ourselves to say things, to say things to each other, to say things publicly, and to actually believe that kind of like that true, being truly gay or being truly one's gender should have nothing to do with trauma. Yes, trauma can go in some directions, but not in these directions. So, for example, now I'm going to go less than Vanilla Lee, if that's okay yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm all warmed up. Okay. <laughs> you know, like somebody has had like a sexually abusive experience and now they like to do um, rape play, right? So, if somebody has not, so you, you hear, for example, in, in the kink scene, obviously not everybody who's in the kink scene or who is into BDSM has been abused in some way, right? That, that needs to be said very explicitly. But why does that need to be said very explicitly? Because the anxiety is always, it's the same thing as with homosexuality and with trans. The anxiety is always that, oh, that's why you're like that. Because if you Mm -hmm. hadn't had that traumatic experience, you wouldn't have been twisted that way because that's, that's being twisted out of like what is natural is the reasoning, right? So of course we learn to, to think about trauma as something that when it comes to how we raise our children, how, what jobs we have, it can be incorporated. But when it comes to sex, it needs to be clean, clean of trauma. And when it comes to gender, it needs to be clean of trauma. So right. that's, that's the whole concept of traumatophilia that I'm working with, um, kind of like in the book. Like what about, you know, part of what I, I say is that, and I've seen this like both clinically and also in my social life, maybe this will resonate with you too in some ways, that Traumatic experiences are also experiences that we, that may be painful, but we're also attracted to our wounds and we want to touch them and get close to them and congregate around them, especially with other people. And those things can go well or not well, but it's not true that all we want to do is stay away from our trauma. It's so, it's so interesting because I feel like that's, I I think you're saying it's like the, it's, that's exactly what I was trying to like get to with this idea of like you know oh like no 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 man made me this way you Mm. know but it's like i think the reality is that we do we like close the door on people's truths and people's stories because at the end of the day like what what is the difference right if someone's into rape play what is the difference between someone just being into that because they're like i love to let go and like not have control and like that just that's exciting and like sexually satisfying for me versus someone having that that same desire because of some trauma that happened to them like what is ultimately what is the difference right mm-hmm. but are you ready to shop rakuten's big give week is back 
Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I think that we exist in a society that treats those two things very differently, <laughs> right? Like, no, but no, I feel like so many people are not going to look at those things and say, like, those are the same thing. Like, one of them, would, they'd be like, oh, well, sure, like, that's like healthy rate play, right? And like, the other one is like, oh, like, you need to deal with your trauma, yeah. right? Well, and that's weird. Like, that's a, and, and I think weird in the way that, like, I think, you know, some of what you talk about in the book is like, are we, taking away people's ability to consent to, to, yeah. to their own to their own life right right like, like to their own desires and by life. us telling yeah. them what's normal or what's weird mm-hmm. or what's a good reason or, to do yeah. and a bad like, reason yeah. to want the same thing right i mean the tricky thing is that you know let's take this scenario where there's like somebody's doing rape play because they just like it and somebody has some trauma some sexual trauma i think that's people who have an issue with rape play and by people here, I'm talking also about clinicians, right? Cause I'm a clinician and I, I constantly have these conversations with my colleagues. They would say that person is traumatized too. You just haven't gotten to it yet. Or it's yeah. the trauma of patriarchy. I mean, if that's your framework, you're going to be looking for trauma, whether the other person claims it or not. I mean, mm, that's what's happening with trans dismissive kids. thing to yeah. in and of itself, right? <laughs> that's what's happening with trans kids right now. Like all trans kids, according to these, clinicians and to this legislators are traumatized at the very least by a culture that wants to transition them against their will is how the logic goes right yeah well and it's you know the other thing that's been that's like sitting up here in my mind while we talk well because we've come back to this idea a couple times i think in the context of consent in the context of um of like that it's it's fascinating because i think it gets into the same idea too of like you know this this idea of like consent to things that break you down a little bit right Mm -hmm. and that I think it's the reason that it's always interesting to me because there are like there's so many things going on right now around the country with like this concept these concepts of like you know bans on Mm -hmm. uh, on trans care for kids and like but even just to the point of like banning books like Mm -hmm. banning drag queen story hours right like all Mm -hmm. of these things and it's like I feel like we queer people I think talk about them a lot in the context of like listen like if your kid is gay if your kid is trans like 
they're going to be gay and they're going to be trans no matter what. But I also think a lot of us realize that like that's not necessarily true, <laughs> right? And it's like part of the reason that you have to have these things and have them visible is I think all of us know that it's like, yeah, because you have to sometimes be able to like get past that idea of like what someone might consent to, mm -hmm. right? Because it, if some like if something sometimes has to push you past your comfort zone and past your own boundaries, and that might, you know, could still be the thing that like saves that kid's life, even if they and or their parents would never have consented to them knowing that trans people exist. Right. But like that is a part of it. Like it's not always just about knowing that like, yeah, the kid who's trans and knows that about themselves is going to yeah. go and find that book and that way they'll be OK. It's also about the kid who might not and might not otherwise have ever been willing to yeah. like examine that. But I don't, but it is, it's like it touches on this weird place of you're like, oh, but now you're talking about grooming. And it's like, well, no, but no. Mm -hmm. also like uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, it's like a little mm -hmm. bit of like, yeah, you kind of have to like let those ideas be out there. And like that might, that might be in a way that I mean, like isn't oh, consented to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like also on the other side of that, though. It's like, I don't, I don't, I think what you're saying like is not grooming. It's literally Mm -hmm. having them see it's, every side yes because i don't think it's grooming. i know I think it's, it's not i know you know it's grooming. not grooming <laughs> but i'm just saying like it's like <laughs> we don't need to get too political with everything but whatever but like it's the opposite where like you're like if like for the history of like conservative communities they are saying here's the only thing that is right like that's, well, and I think that, that to me is grooming. Right. the reason that i think it's it's like sticking with me right now is because they play on the idea of consent a lot right like there's a lot of conservative use of the idea of consent yes. these days yes that's dangerous yes and it gets used in dangerous ways and i think that like if you can see the the possibility for danger in it there mm -hmm. of course there's a possibility of uh, whether it's danger or even just abuse well mm -hmm. yeah like a, abuse or even just like lack right in other areas like it yeah you're just, you're you're just saying trying... like not as full of a life that's what you're saying when you I, say lacking I, can, yes like, yeah 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 of like missing you, you know we've been talking missing about out thing. on experiences yes. that you might not have had if you were like well i'm only going to do the things that are within this that box are safe. yes that yeah. i agreed to yeah yeah so yeah i just i think it's i think mm -hmm. there are ways in which we we are all more aware of the idea of consent as a limitation <laughs> mm -hmm. than we like to pretend otherwise mm -hmm. sometimes in our mm -hmm. in our you know most politically correct yeah. uh <laughs> discourses. Yeah. yeah and certainly right now as as you were saying right now the whole idea about restricting i mean in the uk they closed down the tavistock clinic and they closed it down because kind of like legally the decision kind of like the whole debate legally was can kids consent to hormone blockers mm. i mean eventually the court said this is between kids and their doctors and their families they're not a legislative issue but the tavistock clinic closed anyway so I, I think that you're right to point out that consent is kind of like in the way that it is talked about it's an extremely conservative concept and i think it's an extremely dangerous concept for queer life especially and yeah. trans kids is, is one example. But, but, but let's also go back to this question of, of like experiences that, you know, w when you were both saying, 
there are ways in which as queers, we know that consent is more complicated. But w- what about kind of like, so w- one of the really challenging examples that I use in the book is the example of race play. So kind of like can, like, so I'm, I'm, I, in the course of writing the book, I was approached by a black activist who talks about who I interview and who talks to me about his experiences with wanting to be racially humiliated by a white woman. So then the question becomes, is this, oftentimes uh, the question becomes, is this some kind of like interiorization of white supremacy? Is this some self-hatred? Like if somebody wants to be play raped, is, that, is there an equivalency there with, with race? And if, if not, why not? And here is where kind of like questions of consent begin to get more conservative. So kind of like, the, I think the edgier the topic is and the harder it is, mm-hmm. the more conservative we become about consent. So this- Even this, as queer people, which I think is so oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this man was telling me about having gone to, gone to professional dominatrixes and asking them, to racially humiliating them, white women, and they would say no. Yeah. He would like, would you shit on me? And they would like, yes, <laughs> but but I won't call you racial slurs. So it's it's uh, interesting, right? So it's yeah. interesting, like wh- where it is that we that the line is drawn, and I mean, everybody draws a line wherever they want to draw it in their personal life or in their professional life or whatever. But conceptually, the issue is is interesting in terms of consent. Oh. Man, yeah. <laughs> we dove. We went right in. We just um, yes. I'm I sorry. You can't. Th- you can't take out into the episode. No, 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 no. no. So, we'll you can take it. that out if you. No, want. we'll leave it in. It's no, just absolutely I think, not. I mean, the I, point. The point so is that it's hard for us to talk about clearly. Well, especially us as like two white, <laughs> two white people. But I mean, but I think it is. It's like it's the thing that is interesting about it to me is I think uh, there are a lot of ways in which queer people understand the idea of of pushing against norms and boundaries and then there are ways in which we very much do not right Mm -hmm. um and and sometimes in in ways in which i feel like almost the queer community sometimes can be like even more aggressive about like self-policing ourselves policing yes Mm -hmm. absolutely and specifically because you are like i you know it's i mean you almost can't get away from this kind of respectability game of like you know like oh yeah sure like we're queer queer people but like we're the good the good queer mm-hmm. people you know mm-hmm. like we're not the ones who are going to make you yeah. feel uncomfortable <laughs> yeah yeah about stuff you know like not too uncomfortable mm-hmm. like just like a little bit of uncomfort discomfort <laughs> but, but like i also think it's de- like i i like how we like talk about the queer community is just like yes everyone like it's it's so yes. not mm-hmm. but like it also depends on like what part of the queer right. community you mm-hmm. are being policed exactly by. like there's certain parts of the queer community that would be like you didn't go far enough in this in this radical discussion or they would be like you push the boundaries too much and like you're canceled mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's like yeah. and there's like all kinds of people in between but mm-hmm. i also i think that all that queer people as a whole as i again i'm going to make a blanket statement about your blanket <laughs> statement i do think that queer people as a whole i think we tend to have a very strong idea of where your cis het white society uh places us on their discomfort scale do you know what i mean 
I think we tend to know that it's like, oh, like, I mean, OK, here's h- how's this for an example? Like Kelsey and I joke all the time that we are like, oh, my God. Yes, please introduce us to your like straight white Midwestern parents. Like we are gateway gays. We are like easy to digest. Right. Like we yes. are we're lesbians, but we're married and we're monogamous and, you have and we two have children, children and we yes. have like normal, like everyday jobs. Right. Like. We know where we stand on the scale of like where queer people fall on the set scale of like how uncomfortable will you make me feel about this? And we are nowhere near the level of like, you know, oh, yeah, like let's talk about like blurring lines of consent and rape play Mm -hmm. and like race play. Like we're, Mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a there's a distance between us and that and we know we know that every queer person kind of knows where to put yourself on the scale of like how much is this pushing against societal norms right like yeah. i think that's what i'm that's what i'm getting at i guess but but i would say also that different queers also have different levels of comfort with that pushing mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and different kinds of investments in exploring themselves and telling their own stories versus accommodating other people's discomfort, uh, including queer people's. Like, you know, you know, we are not a homogeneous community by any means. Uh, yeah. um, we're, we're talking about ourselves in, in broad brush strokes, absolutely, mm-hmm. and we're not. Mm-hmm. But, but I also, you know what I think is, and, and maybe as a, as a next place to land on in, in the discussion, I do think it's what I, what I hope or what I think... Um, what I love sometimes about the queer community is that I also think that like we tend to be more comfortable being the people to push those boundaries further and further out. Right. Um, And to, to be willing to face some of that discomfort within ourselves to make it easier for other people, I think by then being comfortable. (laughs) So I don't know where that lands us here because I do think, I think consent is going to be a, a, it's a tough one. That's a tough one to like push up against. But I do think that there are benefits and reasons to doing so. And I think that like we tend to be better as a community at understanding that like we do put up boundaries on ourselves still, uh, both as a community, as a society, and also as individuals, right? And I I think that we- I don't no. know. I think I think that we're also kind of like, you know, depending on what experiences somebody has had, what their positional vulnerability is, definitely their race, their class. Like, there's also like questions about safety, like, you know, these kinds of the, the safety or like physical safety. Like, so there's when when I'm talking about this kind of consent, kind of like limit consent is what I call mm-hmm. it. I'm not talking about the consent to another person. I'm talking about what risks one is willing to take for oneself. And that is dependent on so many things. I do think that subjects who have been minoritized by virtue of their sexuality, their gender, their race, their ability, are willing to take more risks for the most part for oneself, with, for, with oneself. But I'm definitely not talking about like, kind of like me pushing somebody else or somebody else pushing me. I'm talking about what happens in this encounter where somebody kisses me because they when I have not said don't kiss me when kind of like they read the signs and they kiss me and I'm like whoa like I didn't expect forget about gender I didn't expect kind of like there's all kinds of aspects on a kiss like where somebody's hands are like how mm-hmm. tight that for the kind of like how tight of a kiss how long it lasts how I mean I can 
come up with a variety of different dimensions of that. But you can you can imagine like there's that that can open up to something else that you didn't anticipate. And then the question becomes, what do you do with that? So here's an example. Like I, I say this kind of like in the first chapter of the book, I talk about a gay couple that kind of like is in a is in a bar in a in a sex club, and they are. I think they're having sex in a sling, something like that, but they're having sex in a sling. And this, this man walks in and he's, he's wearing a jock strap and he's kind of like, it's dirty. He's kind of disgusting. He smells, his, his hair is greasy. And, and one of the guys and the couple is like, yeah, I want nothing to do with that. And he leaves. And the other guy who stays behind, who's my patient. And I write about this case with his permission tells me that he didn't he, he totally does not see this coming but he ends up having sex with this man and he has like this spectacular experience where he feels like he's blown up in pieces and he is entirely startled by what just happened like first of all i didn't think i was going to have sex with somebody who's that disgusting b what does he, this disgusting aspect have to do with this experience that i have and now what do i do with myself so this is not a violation this is not but it's also not something that he consented to in the sense of mm-hmm. like he was planning on it. Some some desire opens up in his body and he just goes with it. Yeah. And I, I think that's the most important part, which I think we've been talking about is like everything we're talking about with consent is we're not talking about violations, mm-hmm. like direct violations mm-hmm. of yeah. consent. Yeah. And I feel like that's no, but very I, like but clear. I think, that, I think the idea of what you like. I feel like it's the flip side of what you said at the beginning, right? That it's like safety is not a guarantee of mm-hmm. like a a good encounter or a satisfying encounter. I feel like the same thing, like encounters that happen beyond or outside the realm of consent are not a guarantee of a violation. That's right. right. That's like right. it's sort of it's it's allowing for this sense of like life is messy, right? Like I think so mm-hmm. many of the things that mm-hmm. you've said yeah. in this conversation kind of come down to like consent as the the way that we treat it exists in this fantasy world where like everything is clear cut and black and white and known in advance and able to be prepped for and Mm -hmm. planned around Mm -hmm. and discussed and agreed to and like that's not life yeah (laughs) like that's not how life is and i think that there has to be those two things right that like safety doesn't guarantee your happiness and Mm -hmm. and something happening without your consent isn't a guarantee that you won't enjoy it sometimes, yes, yeah. right? Like whether it's whether it's like this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, or just like oh that happened, right? Or but I think could, that it's it, like that's a messy conversation. That's a messy conversation to have. It is a messy conversation, also because something that happens at the border of your consent could end up being problematic. It could end up mm-hmm. traumatizing you or hurting you, and you know that's part of the mess. So wh- one of the examples in the book comes from the work of Tim Dean, who is this, like, he's a queer theorist, and he's also a a gay man who describes his experience of having gone to, I want to say kink alert ahead for a moment, (laughs) 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 of having gone to a sex club. And he he talks about how he does piss play, he never wants to bottom, he always wants to top. And in this particular night, this kind of like stranger kind of like pulls him back to the back of the bar, and now Tim Dean is giving him oral sex, he's giving him a blowjob. And he says, like, and then all of a sudden I feel my mouth is wet. And then I'm realizing, whoa, like this guy is pissing on me. 
And he says, I did not consent and I would not have consented. But the orgasm that he experiences as a result of that moment that he realizes that this guy's pissing in his mouth, which he would not have agreed to had he been asked, is extraordinary. Yeah. So here's, here's the messy part, which is that if he were talking to me as a therapist after the fact, and he was saying, look, he didn't ask me, he just started pissing in my mouth. I had no interest in that. Like, I feel, how am I ever going to go back and trust into a leather bar, like trust another man to pull me in the back and like give him a blowjob. I'm never doing that again. I would be like, I get it. I wouldn't be like, why are you taking it this way? I would understand why somebody would be viol feel violated, just like I understand why he happens to have felt kind of like what he describes as erotic astonishment, this experience of erotic astonishment. And that that's the messy part that yeah. it could go well, it could not go well. It is the messy part. It's also the part that I think I I want to I want to push back on my idea push, push. that sometimes I think the <laughs> queer community can help normalize is not the right word. I don't know what the right word I want to use here is. But I think because here's here's where I think this all seems fascinating to me. And also because maybe some of this is just me that I'm like I am I am an extremely vanilla person. But like I I actually don't mind talking about any of this. I'm like fascinated by all of this. <laughs> I think it's super cool. It because to me, the idea that like I I've always felt like for me as a queer woman, like I understand that to me, like the the concept of being attracted to men seems wild, like seems outside of like my understanding. But I also know that like there's a there's a ton of straight people out there somehow bafflingly. They're still there. Right. And and so I think it like it helps to again normalize is not the right word it helps to like make sense of it to be like okay well but i guess that must be a thing because like people mm -hmm. seem to be into it right um which like for me same with piss play i'm like listen not my thing but like people are into it like go you good for you what i think is fascinating to me about this is like we talked about okay let's let's go back to like our 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 step one you yes. kiss a girl who, <laughs> who thinks she's straight mm -hmm. right like if that goes wrong that's still going to feel like a violation. It's still violating consent. But mm -hmm. I also think that we as a society have accepted that it's like, oh, but sometimes people kiss you and you're not into it. And like, that's okay. Like, uh, it, I, it, it depends where you are. Like there's it, parts it of the countries where, where that are. could get It depends on the situation. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that like most people you would expect that their reaction to like, oh my God, someone, I, some girl well, kissed me and I didn't want them to is going to be very different than their reaction to like some dude pissed in my mouth while I was going down yeah. on him and I didn't consent to it. But they're both issues of consent, right? Like they're, the scales are different. The, the risk is different. For sure. But I think they're both getting at the same idea, which is like sometimes that risk goes well and it's allowed to go well, whether or not it's every time and whether or not that's always going to make it OK and whether taking the risk is the right choice or not. That is not for us to say, I think, in this conversation or in any conversation necessarily. But I think it's to me, I can see the the parallels between them mm -hmm. right at least in terms of like how it relates to this conversation and i think that there is a sense of there are things that we i think have accepted more as a society because you see them more often right and that that's what i think i'm i i mean by that is just like i think i think there are ways at that like we as queer people 
can probably or or could be more open to this idea of like consent is messier than we want it to be right now. Because I think we do understand that there are lots of times where like something has challenged our sense of our own boundaries. And sometimes there's a payoff to that, right? Sometimes. And and again, it is hard to have this conversation where it's like, it feels like you're saying like, so it's okay, people like just violate boundaries left and right. Like that's not, that's not it. No, not at all. (laughs) That's not at all what the conversation is. But I think it, it is allowing for a sense of messiness that like, I don't, Mm-hmm. think is still out there a lot um mm-hmm. but i feel like if it's going to come from somewhere my my expectation would be i i would see it in queer communities first if that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense to me and i was th- i was thinking you know i i think to to your point about kind of like the preparedness to play with these ideas i think i think it's reasonable to assume that it, it could be more acceptable in, in queer people just because there's already been a play with with risking some aspects of com- of belonging to mainstream society taking risks of placing oneself outside in order to be in yeah. where one needs to be and then it also like so much you know i'm an immigrant i grew up in a different country so i'm very aware of how different things are like in in, in greece and in Cyprus, very different things can happen. Even in parts of this country, like kissing somebody who doesn't want to be mm-hmm. kissed or who now, or who wants to be kissed, but doesn't want to be the person who got kissed by a man, it can get you killed. So, you know, yeah. the mm-hmm. stakes are like, you know, obviously we are not downplaying these stakes. But I, I do want to look back to something else you said when you said, I, I don't know why people would be attracted to men. And I was wondering if you know Jane Ward's book. Do you know Jane Ward's book, The Tragedy of Heterosexuality? Oh, I, I'm going to need to look it up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, she it is but, it is written by this um, uh, lesbian author who addresses straight women and talks to them <laughs> about that in a way that is brilliant and also very funny. Um, that, that sounds right up my alley because I do. I say it all the time. I'm just like, I don't. It makes no sense to me. And yet I know it must be true. I see it Read enough, the book. you know. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you before we sort of wrap up, which is like, (laughs) we have been painting some broad strokes. I'm curious if you've had any response from people within the community or even from people not within the community who have heard maybe a podcast episode or have read the book, like what has the response been from people who are actually engaging with the content? Yeah. Thank you for, for that question. It's a really beautiful question. Um, I was expecting much more pushback around these ideas. Um, I've I've heard from a lot of people feeling relieved to be able to talk about consent in this more complicated way and feeling both excited and a little bit frightened about what it opens up, precisely because it opens up kind of like when we say risk, we don't say, ooh, risk, it's sexy risk. No, it's also like dangerous risk and, and mm-hmm. kind of like uh, difficult risk and the risk of offending somebody or hurting somebody or feeling hurt. And, and I've had really interesting conversations uh, with um, with people both from communities that engage in these practices and not uh, around race play. And that has been very interesting precisely because it's so edgy um, mm-hmm. and so difficult and so connected to racial history, the racial history of this country in particular. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also because, I, I mean, I would imagine... Because that's, you know, I think a lot of this really, to me at least, comes down to the same idea of it's like, it's not so much that I I 
hesitate to talk about like more things because I'm like a very vanilla person. I just don't feel qualified. Mm-hmm. And I think I my guess would be a lot of people also yeah. are going to like hesitate to dive into like the nitty gritty mess of racial issues. Yeah. Because yeah. that's uh I mean again, you know, in the in the way that that a lot of things I think are more fraught with peril these days like that's a that's an easy way (laughs) to get to say something that's going to not you know yeah not be received well um in the context of like the just the country we live in and like where Mm -hmm. our racial politics are still today yeah that's Mm -hmm. yeah that's Mm -hmm. that's that's a that's a risk i wouldn't take either (laughs) Uh (laughs) realistically you know um because yeah i mean that's just it's there's like so I mean, you know, we're talking I'm talking like, oh, let's my little tea trauma of childhood and like how that influences mm-hmm. my parenting. I mean, that's like that's that's big trauma trauma. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. uh, that's like a, a, a much bigger beast to try to. And, and I should say that, you know, on. when I talk about race play in the in the book, I also talk from my experience with people, somebody I've interviewed and with a play that I'm working with. So mm-hmm. I think I think, of course, it's incredibly important to be aware of one's positionality in having these conversations mm-hmm. yeah yeah is there anything else that you want to tell our listeners about your book or anything bes- mm-hmm. um, before we get to work you and gay i would just say that you know like if um you know if anybody wants to reach out if anybody reads the book and is wants to talk or has kind of like thoughts they want to share like I'm, I'm i'm interested in hearing from people so i'm open to that and you know i i read reviews that are posted online so whatever people read their reviews like i'm happy to engage um so and thank you for being like open for this conversation for for going kind of like meandering with me ar- around yeah. the book thank you i think Loved it's it. a great conversation i'm so glad we had it <laughs> me too yes. <laughs> all right we're gonna head into our q and gay q question number one have you ever enjoyed an experience you did not explicitly consent to a yes or b no yes Great, easy. Okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna I mean, do this. Who is that going to be a no for? True. I you know what? You never, you know. never know. You never know. Okay. Someone out there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Question two: Where do you find it most important to set boundaries? A with others, B with yourself, or C both? I th- I think it's different sets of. I would say C, um, but it's different kinds of ways of thinking about boundaries. Okay. I know complicated complicated multiple choice questions, but here we go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a complicated topic. Question yeah. number three, where has dealing with your own trauma come up most in your life? A, therapy, B, parenting, C, friendships, or D, sexuality? Uh, you're asking me now? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or you can say, don't want to. It's a, it's a multiple choice. You don't yes. have to expand yes. if you don't want to. Yes. I, I think I'm going to go with E, like... Um, I'm I'm bailing out of this one. Okay, that's, that's fair. That's <laughs> also fair. You as the guest get to make up your own Thank answers you. uh, in you. ways that our Twitter poll users do not. Mm-hmm. Question four. When you look back at your life, does it make more gay sense? Uh, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. More queer sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Question number five. Final question. What is most important to you? A, safety. B, excitement. C, pleasure. Or D, surprise. Uh, e experience. 
Ooh, nice. I like that. <laughs> All the write-ins. I know. These are good write-ins this time. Well, again, as we were saying, this very is very complicated hard, multiple choice questions. They're hard yeah. multiple choices. I can these. see that. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> Remember, mm-hmm. all of you out there, you can give us your own answers to this episode's q and gay questions on our Twitter at Les Hangout Pod. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. This was a beautiful conversation. We we've had a blast, Avi. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media, where they can find the book, all of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, the book is uh, nyupress.com um, uh, is the best way to get it directly from the publisher and uh, wherever you get your books in like small bookshops um, and local bookstores. Um, I am on Instagram at uh, A-V-G-O-L-I-S-9-8, Avgolis98. And uh, if you follow me on Instagram and you want to write to me, write to me and I'll write back. Love it. Amazing. Thank you so and much. And I know you were just telling us a little off off mic real quick. You have another book coming up. Is that something you want to let our listeners know about as well? Sure, sure. I have another book coming up with my co-author, Dr. Anne Pellegrini. Uh, the book is called Gender Without Identity. It builds actually on some of the ideas that we talked about today about trauma to think about how we might understand queerness as being also refracted through trauma not as a way of invalidating, but as a way of helping it flourish and articulate its textures. Love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for kind of like playing with ideas with me. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Let me hear you say hip, 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 We love hearing from all of you and we love continuing to build this community. So we just like to shout out some of our favorite things every episode. And this week, we want to start with a shout out to someone who reached out on Instagram at Togs1 and wanted to recommend Jillian Anderson playing a canonically bisexual character in The Fall, where I hear she doesn't. It's not like the, I don't think it's primarily about her being bisexual, but I think she's got some good chemistry going on with some other characters. And we will take Jillian Anderson playing canonically queer any day. So uh, So in anything she's ever in. Yes. So we're going to have to check out the fall. Thank you for the recommendation. Um, This is the content that we're looking for. Yeah. Also, I want to shout out Kate, who sent us an email. Kate is actually an old piano student of mine. And uh, said she it. started internet stalking me, which this also cracks me up because I was like, as I was teaching piano lessons in general, like I was doing less hangout. I was like, any of these people could easily. <laughs> yeah, I could Google you. Like in a Google me. Like I was more like not concerned, but I was like, are the parents going to be like listening to me talk about gay shit or whatever? And of course, like my students cyber stalked me, found less hangout, Amazing. listened to a bunch of episodes and then realized she was gay. So, hey, Kate, you're welcome. <laughs> you are welcome. Happy to have you, Kate. Glad you found us. So happy you found us. Loved the flame, which, like, of course she did. I remember we would, like, work on a lot of musicals in our piano lessons. So, of course, like, loves the musicals. And one of my favorite things about her email was that she learned how to play guitar to impress a girl. And I'm like, yes, Kate, you Relatable. are for sure gay. Relatable content. Relatable. Relatable. As always, I want to thank our Lesbian Jesus patrons, Mark Foster. Tanya Ferguson. Alana Rosen. Lizette Stye. Aidy Benitez. Fiona W. And Sophia Phillips. 
And our King Princess patrons, Amy and Ellen. Leah Henley. Andrea Doucette. And Julia Gonzalez. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We could not make it without you. Remember, you can also find us on all the social medias. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Let's Hang Out Pod. You can email us at lesshangoutpod at gmail.com. You can check out our website at lesshangoutpod.com. Whatever app you use for podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes drop. We also have videos going up on our YouTube channel. You can subscribe at youtube.com slash lesshangoutpod to catch those. Les Hangout is an independently produced show hosted by us with audio production by me. Our production assistant is Kristen Murison and Twitter shenanigans by Lee Holmes Foster. If you want to help support our little independent team, the first thing you can do is leave us a rating and a review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. It helps new people find the show. If you want to support us financially, you can join our Patreon at bit.ly slash lespatreon. That also gives you access to all of our bonus episodes, including our most recent episode on Loving Annabelle featuring our friend Abby Nissenbaum. You are not going to want to miss that one. You can join that at bit.ly slash lespatreon. If you want to get some Les Hangout swag, we have all of our designs and all of our merch in our Tee Public store. You can get those designs on all sorts of stuff. We got tank tops for the summer that is coming up. We got t-shirts. We got sweatshirts if you're still a little chilly. You can find all that at bit.ly slash lesshop. We are an all-weather lesbian shop. And remember, we have a queer production company making queer podcast musicals with guaranteed happy endings. You can find everywhere at Dollar Bean Prod. You can also check out our website, dollarbeanproductions.com. You can listen to all the episodes of our first show, The Flame, on any podcasting app. And if you want to help support us in making more musicals, we are getting through so many recording sessions for our next show, Journey to the Heart. We are so excited for everyone to see what we've been working on. If you want to help support us, you can join our Patreon at bit.ly slash dollarbeanpatreon. If you want to find us individually, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Ellie Brigida. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at LSH Foster. With that, I'm Ellie. And I'm Lee. And, and let's, let's hang, hang out, out again, again soon. soon. Let's hang out. out.